Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decisions to trade is yours. Market report, week commencing 10th of June 2019. Old crop is, is kind of in, the, in its death throes, you know, and you can mess around and try and get another thruppance in July if you like, but I don't really see a lot of gold in it, and, and I would recommend you start looking to get those stores completely empty as quickly as possible. There isn't going to be much movement in that price, I don't think, but there seems to be plenty of wheat around at the moment. June is certainly covered, and July... There seems to be more more people coming out of the woodwork selling that as well. So not especially healthy old crop wheat market. Values probably 145x, 46x for June, maybe 48x for July. So it's it's kind of okay, but not nothing to write home about. We'll do old crop across every commodity, then come through to new crop. Barley, old crop, 120x. We've had this conversation before. Sell it, stop messing around. It ain't going to get any better. Uh, or keep it and put it with your new crop because it's the same price. So 120 for July as new crop if you wish. Oil seed rape, 310 for both old and new crop. It's been a little firmer than that. We are still friendly to that market. I, I see um, as we get closer to harvest, there's, there's a very little activity on the selling side. And most commentators are, are kind of predicting a firm or, or well under bid price so i think that's going to stick with a with a firmish trend back to a new crop new crop wheat prices are at this moment 145x for november and that would be delivered to a store for harvest movement 143 this recent rally in the market we've been talking about it a lot as far as it goes the uk is looking in in much better condition there's some very obvious uh, drought stressed areas on some of the light land and some of the second wheats have shriveled up it's that there's there is a yield penalty that's occurred for some fields however there is a phenomenal potential for some other uh, areas and it, it it looks like it's going to be a biggish uk yield this year at this moment uh, I don't want to tempt fate but that appears to be where we're heading uh, Europe largely looks in very good condition as well so if you just traded Europe and we're ignoring the Brexit word and what that does to us because we will have a period into October where we can export so hopefully if there is some export going out of the country early without tariff it'll mean we can tighten our balance sheet and, and kind of support prices but we must get those exports away early if, if that's the case so avoiding politics and going for why has the market gone up well we've we've been talking about this this corn planting in the states crop planting progress report from usda this week said 76 percent which is about 20 percent behind the the mean average of, of of plantings and it will without doubt impede on the yield of the final crop and it will make a later harvest, which increases the risk of frost. But the the stuff that's in the ground has also had complete saturation. And in, in some cases, it's not been emergence, it's been submergence. So there is going to be a penalty to some of those crops as well. The lack of oxygen, the compacting of the soil and so on. 
and, and anything that doesn't root that deeply, if we get a hot, dry spell, could really have a, a very, very poor harvest. So that one is not going to go away. Even if the plantings suddenly go up this week because it's turned a little drier, just because the acres are in two or three weeks late, it doesn't mean the troubles are over. And I think as we go on through the season, we're going to see crop progress reports coming out with very poor marks for the crop, which itself will just keep the market fueled. You can't just rely on that crop to be the reason why, why everything goes up. And, and there is a saying in the phrase, which is bull markets need feeding. Well, the next piece of food, I think, is just coming onto the, onto the menu. There is a high pressure that is formed north of the Black Sea, kind of in a triangle between Volograd, Moscow and Kiev. And the temperatures in the next five days are in the 30s, which, and it's a very solid high pressure that weather forecasters are predicting to stay there for at least 15 days. Now, if you go back through history, the biggest problem with Russian and Ukrainian and, and that area, Black Sea uh, wheat production, has been when it turns really hot and dry during June. So you've got an absolutely ideal ingredient for the next piece of quite dramatic bullish news. Um, and, and Russia are now the biggest exporter. They're the people that, that undercut everybody last year, kept telling us they're going to run out, but then, funnily enough, kept finding another million tonnes here, there and everywhere. This will definitely reduce their crop. So I'm, I'm underlyingly, I think we're in weather season, weather market season. I think we've got some more underlying support for this market so i do not see a collapse um it's been having a rough couple of days where profit takers have gone come in but underlyingly i think we are going to stay at or above the levels we're at at the moment not enough to send it to the moon i'm afraid yet but um some of those ingredients at the states if it turned hot and dry and if that if that high pressure stays over russia then we really could see a significant rally I don't don't expect it. Just be aware of the possibility of it. So that should cheer you up. Let's get on with hoping we get perfect weather all the way through and everyone else gets, gets rubbish. Thanks for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single variety cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for our feature. Today I've got with me Keith Piggott, who is a farmer in Itringham. Hello, Keith. Hi, Andrew. Actually, it's not Itringham, is it? It's Mannington. Uh, technically, it's halfway between Wickmere and Mannington, so you can take your pick, really. Mannington. <laughs> um, be- a very beautiful part of the world. So, Keith is a little unusual in that uh, he didn't uh, start as a farmer's son and he, he didn't inherit the farm. So, how did you end up farming, Keith? Uh, I was looking for a for a property. I moved out of London looking for a property. Saw several large houses with not much land. Um, eventually found this place, beautiful house, beautiful environment, and it had uh, a couple of hundred acres with it. So I thought, well, I'll um, I'll farm it. Um, so it's almost by accident, really. So so the next thing after that to make you a little even more unusual, if you'll forgive me for that. Because I've, I've, in recent podcasts, been looking for an ordinary farmer, and there's no, there's no boxes here to tick you as ordinary. <laughs> um, you, you 
are an organic farmer. True. We went organic basically from the word go. I was quite friendly with Bob Flowerdew, actually. So I'd seen, uh, bought into his ethos a long time ago. Um, so uh, I thought we'd have a go organically right from the start, which is what we did. So we've been organically farming now about 16 years. Okay. And, and that's a commercial decision? Uh, no. Uh, there was no way I was going to farm it any other way. Than organically, but my challenge was to make it as profitable as a conventional farm, and I think we've been very close to that. Some years we we, we're better, some years not so good. But uh, certainly, uh, in terms of my my uh, yield per acre, it's 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 comparable. I think. Well, prices have been creeping up, and the demand have been creeping up for organic produce, hasn't it? Has yeah, it's up and down, and certain products are, uh, uh, you know, variable. Uh, but uh, we mainly grow here. We we were growing um, uh, barley for seed as a seed crop. We had a few problems with roguing out, so we, we've 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 now just doing malting barley. Mm-hmm. We've tried peas. Uh, we've tried carrots. Um, we've tried. You had a fabulous oats. success with p- peas. Peas are either the best best uh, crop you've ever had, or the worst. Yeah. Uh, so we had one really really good year. Um, yeah, organic the peas. problem I saw with peas was that. The setup with with the growers was basically geared towards conventional farming because they hadn't factored in the much higher risk of losing the crop yeah, yeah. With, with 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 organic uh, yeah. crops. I mean, they just couldn't separate the the seeds from the you know from the from the peas at one point. Yeah. So, I mean, I also think maybe there's some work to be done on machinery. Uh, it could be adapted slightly better. What, to to get, there were a lot of peas in which we had to plough in, which which broke really? my heart, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, barley barley grows exceptionally well. You have really good uh, quality malting barley from the land around Aylesham. This area is is renowned for really low nitrogen. Yeah, yeah. Barley works well here. It's quite light soil. Doesn't need irrigation. Although we can get irrigation on the farm if we need it. Um, it's worked well for us. I mean, as I said, we get about half the yield of a conventional farmer, but our input costs are less, so that works. And of course, we can only crop maybe two years out of three or three years out of four mm. because we have to grow the nitrogen in terms of uh, of the clover. Yeah, what are your What are your other crops? What's the break crops that you have? Uh, we need well rotation? clover. And then we try and do, we do carrots or peas or something like that. But we, uh, we can do barley two or three years in a row. It's not an issue. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, it's obviously spring barley because you, you yeah. haven't, you've got winter barley and you've got a longer period where weeds can compete and yeah. so on. And the variety is Westminster, isn't it? Yeah, it's Westminster mainly. It's um, very big, bold barley, isn't it? Yeah, it's it? good. It, it seems grows to, quickly. It outgrows the weeds. Yeah. We go, we try and do a pass with the Einbock weeder yeah. uh, uh, at the right time which helps. But yeah, I mean, there's this idea in conventional farming, you can't have a single weed out of place on your field, or it's a matter of pride. Mm. It's not like that. We can, we can, the combine can usually get through most things. If there's a little bit of weed there, it will, it will still get, still get the barley. So, uh, but, but we, we, we manage, obviously we have to manage the margins a bit. We, we go around the edge of that, pull some docks sometimes uh, manually, that kind of thing, just keep an eye on it. But so far we haven't really had the weeds interfere with, our, with our yield really back to your ro- rotation that what happens with the clover where does that do you, uh, do you get money for that crop? yeah it can be grazed and it it can be cut and sold off as haylage okay so that can that can give us an extra income you can't take too much fertility off so you keep on cutting it and taking it away you're losing some fertility yeah um, and and the grazing doesn't put quite as much back as it takes out 
but it does pay, so uh, it's, I mean, it's the, the, an equation it really. Improve with the with the animal, you know, the manure and everything. That's the whole. Point yeah, that's the point, but it still doesn't put quite as much in as it takes out. But okay. we can live with that because uh, we don't seem to have too much of a problem. Occasionally, if, and again, it also depends on the price of the, of the haylage and so on, and where we sell it. We haven't been able to get an organic use for it so we've sold it conventional farmers but yeah. now we have i think we've got someone who'll who'll pay a little bit more so it makes it more worthwhile that's for us got, that's yeah. got to be the yeah. trick isn't yeah. it well we, we were looking at something aren't we as well which mm. uh, which may or may not uh, come to fruition but i mean the, the fertility of the soil the indexes of your soil i mean they i guess they've improved the health of the soil the worm count etc yeah and and we do do we test it and sometimes we have to put a, a little bit in, but we're, we're putting some biomass product, liquid manure on it, which, is, which has worked well. Mm-hmm. That gives us some of the potassium and everything that we need. Yeah. So other than that, we just seems to be okay. The, the, the soil health genuinely is quite good. So would you, I mean, you, obviously the, the place is, is very vibrant and alive with insects, birds. It's a very, very vibrant is the, is the right word. Do, what do you think of the, the future? You're, you're kind of a little island amongst some fairly... Uh, big farming organisations, aren't you? Yeah, but I, well, I think we are the future. I don't think that conventional farmers are going to be uh, be able to compete with when the grant gets lowered. The grant's going to be skewed more towards mm-hmm. uh, environmental issues. We can't compete on yields with, with the Midwest of the United States. We can't compete with Central Europe. Some of the things we're trying to grow don't make any economic sense mm. for the country or for anybody else. But you're talking uh, about maize into bioethanol. Well, that's, I, don't, I don't think it's a good idea to grow fuel. I, don't, I, I mean, some people do. I don't, I, we can, it's a long conversation, but I don't think... I, I wouldn't be in favour of it. But things, even, even wheats, barleys... I mean, we have a very much a monocultural... Mm. idea that we have to grow 20 acres of this 20 and it basically becomes a monocultural desert which is which is not brilliant for the environment actually so if you want to encourage biodiversity sustainability you don't want to be shipping things to the other side of the world you want to be growing stuff on a small island that you can consume yourself as much as possible so i mean that that's why i'm kind of against growing sugar and i'm and and and, and fuel and that kind of thing so if you can lo- use the land more horticulturally i think that would that is a long-term strategy for the country rather than trying to compete with wheat prices against america and sugar prices against wherever else i mean it, it, i think that's that's where it's going to come from so the farmer's income will be much more made up i think of environmental issues and and you get points for organics already the the demand has to come from the consumer i mean the consumers are definitely switching more and more to you know the food fad the the movement of people from one thing to the next the vegan movement in the last 12 months has been phenomenally strong Mm. and that won't necessarily be the most dominant force in a year's time Mm. but without doubt organic is getting more and more of a demand Mm. um so i i agree it is a growth market we're we're very seriously trying to increase our market share of the organic growers mm. yeah i mean it, 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 and also more and more things are being banned pesticides mm. that kind of thing uh, weed killers uh, so you're going to have more and more issues finding things to put on uh, without being organic yeah. so um, i think that again the future's really heading that way long term um, so and and if you look at productivity the most productive the most productive land in this country is probably mixed woodland with with pigs with 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 yeah. nuts with certain amount of baragas straw that kind of thing yeah. rather than 10 acres of one crop and that's yeah. always been the issue i had about going organic in the first place because 
monocultural activity doesn't really suit organic production. Mm. Organic production should be about biodiversity, working things in with each other. So your, your manure from your animals goes straight into the land. You've got apple tree, a line of apple trees, and under that, you in rows, you're growing crops yeah. or you're grazing underneath it. So there's much more to do in that direction, I think, which hasn't been exploited. So with these views, do the local big tractor boys pat you on the head and... Call you they, a uh, I don't talk to them. <laughs> they <laughs> they um, don't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I'm no problem with how everybody farms, and that's the way it's traditionally been done. But I think generally in the farming community, there's a resistance to change. They'll diversify in terms of they'll do their barns up and rent them out, but the actual farming is driven by agronomists mm. who have been in in in, in the lap of the chemical companies and the seed manufacturers for so long it's difficult to get out of that mindset and of course if you risk something and it doesn't work it's it's costly so mm. again farmers are traditionally risk averse they've got enough to do with trying to guess the weather yeah they don't really want to start going in a totally new direction which they've never done which i understand yeah no me too as a trader you try and set and guess the weather as well but it isn't actually your crop that's failing in the heat is it yeah i'm trying to guess whether it's going to push the price up and 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 take a position that protects or earns me money and, and mm. earns my customers money but mm. that's that's the kind of safe side of betting on the weather or trying to guess the weather mm. Um, when things go badly wrong with the summer, um, it's very, very upsetting. And for all of us, we can see people's profits just disappearing up. Yeah, and, and that's part of the, the, the issue with farming. But, I mean, again, if you have one field of one thing and that's all you're growing and it goes wrong, you've got an issue. If you've got ten different things growing on your farm at the same time, you, you're spreading the risk on that as well. So I'm getting back to this this diversity of cropping. cropping. Mm. Uh, it's more labour-intensive, but mm-hmm. well, that's not a problem because getting more people working on the land, I think, would be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's more productivity. And so, I mean, in the future, I think you need to look at what this island is good at growing and rather than trying to compete again with, with huge fields in America or Eastern Europe. Yeah. And people will pay for it. They will pay the extra... Uh, yeah, it's that's, it's that though, isn't it? It's it's will you can buy a chicken sometimes for you know buy one get one free and it costs about one pound twenty and and if you actually brought them up outside and had to catch them and 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 do it and they take a lot longer to get fat because they run around a lot and have a have a happy old time, um, they do cost a lot more money. Yes, people are prepared to, to pay for that some of the time, but largely the bulk of the population aren't. Well, unfortunately, they've got used to very. Uh, cheap food they've mm. got used to, uh, to to their portion of the household budget has 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 not really gone up and they've got used to it um in fact you know you, a bit of re-education about well actually pay a bit less on uh, going out to dinner or or, or or a bit less on beer or and a bit more on your food and also cooking your food more rather than just going and get ready-made meals um, you know, it, it's, it's again, it's about education. And it's good that people are really getting in more into cooking and more. there's lots of programs on which, which mm. might help. Um, and again, you know, if you, if, if you get away from this, we're bringing in tons and tons of chicken from the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, make and- chicken a bit rarer. That, you know, but say, okay, well, we've, you can have organic free-range chicken or you can't have chicken. And what people are going to say, well, that's fine, then I'll be vegetarian or I'll eat some lamb from Walston Park or I'll, you know, see what I'm saying? So, again, it's about edu- people have just got used to it and they can get unused to it 
If, if yeah, no, it, well, you, you need to be minister of uh, agriculture, don't you? Don't you? <laughs> I'm not sure we got one at the moment. Have we? <laughs> well, have they all resigned? Well, going to be prime minister. The Department of whatever for, uh, food farming comes about last on the list. But no, uh, you're right. We, and and the food prices relative to what they used to cost in percentage of the of the shopping basket, that it's dramatically lower. So food is not people are not paying enough for food. Yeah, and if, if everybody produced organic, of course, the price would come down. Yeah. Um, so because. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd get better at it. There wouldn't be an alternative. Everybody would be buying it. So yeah. very, very efficient conventional farmers would find a way to be almost as efficient in organic farming, I'm sure. Yeah. They've got machinery. And, you know, I think at some point they will be forced to it because we won't be able to get uh, the, the inputs that, they've, that they're actually using now. Right. So finally, you know, 16 years on from when you decided to buy a farm and go organic and farm it, would you do it again? Yeah, I didn't want to be surrounded by fields that weren't organic for health reasons. Maybe a bit strange, but that's that was, and I, and I, I didn't want to. Uh, I wouldn't have farmed in any other way. Do you know what, Keith? That's been a. It's been great coming out here today. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful farm you live in, and and because it's organic, because of the diversity, it's it's such a treat. So I appreciate you letting us. Uh, enter the organic world in in the conventional doing podcast so thanks that's all right thanks thanks for coming big pleasure cheers andrew thanks and now it's time for farm chat Today we're going to have a little chat about D-Day. I think it's a, a time for all of us to reflect upon this incredible life we can live because of the sacrifices of lots of other people. So, Claire? Well, I watched Saving Private Ryan last night as a kind of, you know, almost like a way of just sort of, I knew it was going to be awful, but I felt like I had to really take in the news kind of thing. And I felt like often I just let it wash over me. And I thought, hmm, how can I do that? Yeah, the opening shots. The opening that, shots just... are absolutely, yeah. I mean, the chances of surviving were just... Well, the early boats coming into some Horrific. of those, Omaha Beach or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, and obviously they were saying yesterday on the news that it was the American beach that we all see in St. Private Ryan, but the British, the beaches that the British came into as well were just as bad. So it was like... Oh, well, the Americans make... Well, let's not get on to the Americans making films. Cause apparently they, they stole the Enigma machine and they did, any piece of history, there's an American doing the deal. Yeah, exactly. But, but no, back to the seriousness of it, it. It's incredibly... I mean, well, Private Ryan, you should have told me I'd have bought shares in Kleenex. Oh, I know. I was loving by the time Patrick got back home last night. I was like, oh, this is so sad. Yeah. Here we sit with our, you know, our troubles that we think we've got. The reality is the dynamic of how Europe works as a as a unit at peace with each other Yeah, is, is a testament to the fact that D-Day occurred and the Nazis were defeated. And that's um, what struck me yesterday, actually, like looking at the leaders together in France and you're just thinking... There's, you know, like there's so much unsaid stuff here. We're we're looking at history, and yet, like, you know, there's Trump saying, "Oh, you should leave Europe," and blah blah blah. And it's like this is the whole point why we shouldn't leave Europe is because, you know, okay, this is my opinion, but yeah, no, um, you know, it's kind of weird to see those three people standing next to each other and like all this unsaid stuff. Really, like, you know, it's just Macron Macron was a bit late, wasn't he? Was it Macron? Well, apparently Trump was late as well. Like, yeah, well, Trump's always late, apparently. Just well, a sort of bit windy way. for his hair, but uh, I, I, you know, you you, you watched. I, I saw a bit of footage uh, of it, and there was an, an aerial shot where someone was looking down on on 
And I've got to confess, in my in my classic grain trader style, there I am trying to be poignant and think about the really important stuff, and I find myself looking at the wheat crop, that <laughs> <laughs> thinking that looks really good. I better sell it. <laughs> so I'm sorry, but you know, whatever greater being there is for that thought, but it did cross yeah, my mind. Yeah, I can well imagine. Did you have any relatives that died in the war, or that that? Well, this is this is a. a I'm from a long line of farmers. I'm the first generation not to be a farmer from about right. seventeen something. So, you know that we were able to like say, "Oh, I'm sorry, boys. We've got to collect the eggs and yeah. supply you with food and make sure all the women in the village are okay." I don't know what do farmers do. Well, I guess they actually what they do is they get a lot of women from cities and stuff to come work on their farm at that time, didn't they? Sounds terrible. And I think a lot of them married one of them. They did. Yeah. Well, that's the well, which is good. So Norfolk, Norfolk isn't as inbred as everyone thought. Did a lot of <laughs> lot of favours for Norfolk reading. Yeah, I think. my dad married a girl from Birmingham, funnily enough. But oh, there that you was, go. That was post-war. Oh, okay. Now it, uh, I've got on my mother's side someone. I've got some medals um, from the Boer War, yeah. and. But I've got no great stories of heroics, I'm afraid. I was probably from a long line of people hiding under the bed. I don't know, but no, we've got no... I know no... My, um, my dad's dad fought in both wars. Wow. Like, he lied for the first war and told it said that he was older than he was. Wow. Lied for the second war to say that he was younger than he was. So he managed to like fight in both of them. But I, I, I think he had... There's a story of a watch that was used. He was basically shot in the leg and... Um, his like bone was like fractured or something, and as it happened, a surgeon happened to be walking through who was a really really good surgeon, and they were like, "How are we ever going to get this leg back together again?" And the surgeon um, took the back off my granddad's watch and used the metal to rebuild his bone or something. Incredible! Wow. It's a really cool story, but I'm not telling it very well. No, well, um, that, that, I will see that when you have a hero in the when you have people who've gone and fought. It, you, you you must want to search that out. Obviously, you know you know enough about it, and people yeah. kind of understate it. I I, I envy you the the fact that you can say yep yeah, definitively. Yeah. I mean, my my my, my mum's um my, my my grandfather uh, on my mum's side, uh, his memory got progressively selective, and and he started telling stories about being evacuated from Dunkirk, and I and and my mum said, nah, he didn't do that. That wasn't true. So you, you kind of you started, some of the stories he'd read well, started to become his own. Well, like, some this happens, isn't it? People that, that whether yeah. it's true, whether it isn't, he's 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 gone, so I can't ask him. But the reality is, you know, maybe he was at Dunkirk. You know, that, that yeah. was a story that he told, but he certainly didn't tell it when I was a boy. He, he told right. it more, you know, when I was a teenager, and I kind of thought, mm, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's interesting, like watching the old men. I think I heard one of them yesterday saying, actually, one of the sad things is that I think it was at sixty-five years there was thousands of them yeah. like you know and obviously it's there's only a few hundred now and like, Tessa's yeah. grandfather was in the merchant navy and he's he had some amazing stories he really was very understated about it he got sunk three times oh my he God. survived in the water and one of them he was there for 12 hours or something wow. on one of them the warm right. sea but he, he told a story this is kind of to put it in perspective how you deal with this he said he went from the engine he's an engineer he went from the engine room of the boat into the area where they have their brake. Right. And he shut the door. And about that moment, the torpedoes hit their boat. <sighs> and he knew where he could sense where it was. He knew if he, he couldn't go back through that door and everyone in there was going to be dead. Mm. There's the first time. He was in there with another guy. And the, the other door to this chamber, he couldn't open it. He tried and tried and tried. The oh. other guy was a really big bloke. And he, he managed to move it and and open it to save both their lives. Wow. They start going out of the boat and the water starts catching them up. 
And he said, and in his head, he could he had the route planned of how he got out. He said, I got up there, I need to go down there, must go left there. And, and he was thought it through. And the two of them were scrambling up the boat. And they came to a point where he knew that if you went to the right, you would not be able to get out. Right. If you went to the left, you could you could find your way. And the other guy went to the right. <gasps> I know it saved, oh. and it's, but he, he, tell, he tells that story, and there's, and there's obviously you know emotion, and and the memory, and then and then you know, and then he gets to the gets to the top of the boat, and then he knows I've got to swim away, I've got to swim away because the the it drags you down the the right, right. air pocket or whatever. Oh, really? So his version is, as I say, so understated. But bearing in mind the, the various events, all the people he worked with have died in the initial explosion. Yeah. The guy who was trying to open the door has died on his way out of the boat, he, and, oh. and it must be in his head. Yeah. And and then he gets out, and he's floating around in the water yeah so he's floating around in the water and he said there was a there was a chap a, a captain by the name of darling 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 and he this guy just gave his life jacket to a bloke who said he couldn't swim and this guy darling could swim right anyway cut long story short when when he was on a boat picking the the the, the bodies and taking the tags off them basically yeah because that you couldn't put all of the bodies in the boat because the boat would sink right uh, when they were when they were coming out and the guy that had the life jacket lived Darling didn't. So he, he literally, there was the body floating and he turned it over and that was that guy and he got his tag oh, off. So yes. so that is a series of events. Yeah. That How would you ever get over that? Oh my God, so traumatic, isn't it? But then yeah. you also think, like, what a survivor. Like, and that you can see how those, like... <laughs> Three times, yeah. Who, yeah. Who's going to want him on their boat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, there's that Bob, side as well. Bob Piggott, now. Nah. Mr. You, <laughs> you, can go, you can go over them. <laughs> yeah, I think I think all of us know we're grateful. The sacrifices we can't imagine. We think we can, but we can't. And so. it's only 75 years ago. It's so recent, isn't it, still? Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So we will remember them. We will remember them. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 